So how's the joy? Got this word joy in my heart. You know, I, I had this. It's really embarrassing when your children, you know, call you on stuff. I mean, having this conversation with my one daughter who's got some questions about God and she sort of looks at me and says, um, no, I don't, it's embarrassing. She s- says, well, if Christianity is so cool, why, you s- why aren't you more joyful? <laughs> and I said, well, you should see me if I wasn't with Jesus. <laughs> but there's, a, the, you know, there's, there's, this, there's this kind of picture of what it's like to be with God maybe and you hear about the joy and the peace and the power and the stuff. And then you meet most of the people and they go, well, they don't look that great. And it's because we are being given an opportunity to have a glimpse of, of God's creative spirit. Um, I'm going to talk about this a little bit today in terms of from heaven and, and what it's like on earth and how these two come together. And so when Jesus came into the world, we call it incarnation, which means he, God became flesh. God came and lived among us and as he lived among us, he demonstrated what it's like to live a life that is extraordinary in the midst of the ordinary. Speaking over these weeks on Jesus saying, I'm the way and the truth and the life, it's a very well-known phrase. And we spoke about truth for a while a few weeks ago and then the way last week. And I'm going to do the way again. With the way means following Jesus. Although the early Christians used to be called followers of the way, people of the way. Um, but the thing that always you know, I kind of address is... Um, well, how do you do this? Because one thing I, I don't like is, is spiritual, super spirituality that's all kind of idealistic or, or it sounds nice out there, but I can't make sense of it down on ground level. And I think um, if you're like me, you know, we are this mixture of... Um, Paul talks about it. He says, I was saved and I am being saved and I will be saved. And it can be... There's an element of... We're in this process of discovering who God is and who we are uh, before God and with God. And we can, as Jason, I'm going to respond to something he said about, you know, we can get really discouraged because you go, I I should be better than I am. Does anybody feel like that? That I should be better than I am? Yes, me, but not you, right? You you get discouraged or you think that, or then we compare ourselves and we say, well, I'm not like you and therefore I'm not qualified and... There's all this competition and all this comparison that can be quite difficult. I remember Graham Cook saying, you know, God says, I will speak loud enough for you to hear. What would that be like to know? Uh, God says, I speak loud enough for you to hear. See, God is right present with us here now. And there's actually, from God's perspective, there's nothing we need to do to earn his love and his presence. We can't earn it. We can just understand how he operates and then take part in that. And that's often the key. So one of the things that in, in, in our society, and I'm always saying this in our culture, uh, we're, we're very much feeling-oriented. We're very much um, subjective in our, very often our, our understanding of truth, our understanding of God. You know, if it's not real for me, it can't be real. If it's true for me, it must be true. And so I used this last week and I'll use it again. You know what this is. It's a spirit level. You know, I c- we, could do it. we could do an example. I could ask you to come up here and say, okay, draw a circle. I uh, say, so I want a perfect circle. And you can't draw a perfect circle or a straight line. And you can't even do that consistently. And so if you're going to build, if you're going to do pretty much anything, you actually need an, uh, an 
something that, it, that is reliable to measure up against. And so when you're building, um, you know, you make sure. I learned the hard way, you know, because I'm quite artistic, so I just like this. But uh, you go out a little bit, and by the time you get to the top, it's out that much. And so then you have to cut everything that's designed to be right angles. You've got to fit everything, customize everything, and it gets really irritating. And so this is a, a spirit level that basically you, when, you, when you're lining things up, you press this against it and you see where the bubble is and you make sure it's in the middle and then you go, it's, it's, now it's straight. When Jesus talked about the way and the truth and the life, there's an element of in following Jesus is knowing Jesus, there's a spirit level required. Because you and I, in our own ob- subjective beliefs, are, are very tiny little minds. I want, you to, I, w- I want to say, do you turn to the person and say, you've got such a tiny little mind. But that kind of would sound rude, but it's true. You and I have got tiny, tiny, tiny little minds. We hardly comprehend anything. I mean, do you find that humbling or hard to believe? It's, it's, it's very releasing to know that you're not God. And it's very releasing to know you don't get most things. That's why you need a spirit level. Because you need something to measure up against and to say, is this accurate or not? We live in a, we, we, we're so arrogant and we're so quick to go, well, I don't believe that. Most of the people over 35 years that I've spent in ministry of one form or another, most people's perception of God or their reasons why they don't follow God probably could be mouthed, articulated by a six-year-old. They're very, very poorly thought out. They're very non-threatening. They're usually emotional. And they're usually reasons that come out of bad experiences, either with other Christians, or people who call themselves Christians, or, the, or they're, it's, you know, if there's a God of love, why is there so much suffering in the world? Good, some of them are good questions, but they're not that difficult to answer. And so God is much, I love questions, because I think God loves if you follow with Jesus and his disciples, they often questioned and he, he, he was always engaging with them because they were struggling to say, how does this work? And I want to encourage you that there's no magic formula. I used to look for a magic formula. I used to go up lots of times for prayer, which I think is a good thing, but there's a magic formula and then God's going to anoint me and life is going to be easy. The only way that works is when you actually deny half of life and then you just become super spiritual and then you're just irritating you know what I mean? Bless you, brother. Bless you, sister. Bless you, bless you. Bless. You're just a blessed nuisance. L- life is full of variation, color, and, I, and, and that's what I want to talk about today. But the way needs Jesus. He said, I am the truth. Everything needs to be measured by Jesus. Who is Jesus? What's he like? Jesus being the Son of God. Jesus being the place on earth where God entered. Jesus being the person whom God spoke through most powerfully 2,000 years ago. You have to deal with Jesus. Jesus is always present. So what you do with Jesus, how you relate to Jesus, is not just an option issue. It's the core of truth in the Christian revelation of God. And it's up for grabs right now. It's challenged all over the place. It's why you won't see me at an, an in an interfaith service where the Muslims and the Christians and the, anybody who wants to be on the stage is on the stage because we're going to show our unity. It's insanity. I'm not saying we shouldn't have all the freedom to worship, but we're not worshipping the same God, not even close. 
So it doesn't make any sense. It's like putting all the politicians in one country on the same stage and getting them to say something together. It'd be very difficult. So Jesus is the truth, and I, I, I spoke about that a few weeks ago. And the way is is the following of Him, and then there's also the community side. We need all of these things. We need the scriptures because the scriptures give 1,600 years at least of perspective on God working and dealing with people individually and corporately. Which means, therefore, that as I read the scriptures, I begin to get a flavor of how God works and how people have engaged and what they've learned over the years through him, uh, with him. And that gives me a perspective to go, so how do I live my life? Or is what I'm hearing accurate? Or is it, does it sound like the same tone that God would speak to me? If you're like me, most of the time, my, my understanding of God and how he works is usually more negative than he is. He's more made in my image, and if I were him, this is what I would do. And it's usually, I'm going to get a little vengeance, you need to smarten up, and it's, you know, there's some attitude there. The revelation from God is that he's kinder and he's, he's good. Some human beings go, God is kind and good, so he just loves me, and I'm wrapped in cotton, cotton wool, and everything I do, he'll just bless. And there's a disciplined side of God, that's why this thing is important. Because not everything I think or feel is true. So I said last week, you know, one of the other perceptions of, of following Jesus is that it's all hard and it's difficult. And it's, it's, it's meant to be miserable. And so the way to God, we, we talked about this a lot, is narrow. The, the way to, to God is narrow. And I'm just reminding you, the way to God in Jesus is narrow. It's, it's one person at a time at the cross where I begin to come to terms with the fact that I'm not God and that my life falls short of what God intends and I need to actually ask forgiveness. And he went to the cross for my forgiveness. I'm not going to repeat everything today that I said last week. But uh, what I want to say, though, is the way to God and to Jesus and to the cross is narrow. And the way beyond the cross is wide open. It's the promised land. And that's the part I want to really talk about, which is, it's quite easy to talk about coming to God and repenting and dealing with your sin and being forgiven. And then everybody comes to the other side of the cross and you'll have lots of Christians who never leave the cross. They just live around the cross and all they're worried about is, let's have an altar call so more people can come to Jesus. And you have this massive nursery of people in diapers and they've been around the cross for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. What are you going to do? We just thank you, Jesus, that you saved me. Now what? Well, he's going to look after me and he's going to change my diapers, he's going to feed me, he's going to bless me. Thank you, Jesus, that you saved me. And it's all about me. And he actually saved you so that you can actually be something that you weren't before and actually go and be salt and light in the world. He didn't save you so you can be a baby. He saved you so you can be a grown-up. And you can actually be something more than you ever thought you could be. You're saved for a reason, not just to get you out of trouble. And so the promised land was that, it's the same, as I mean, you see it in the Old Testament. The, when they came out of Egypt, they were set free from slavery so that they could actually go and take the land and become a people that God could use as a testimony to his goodness around the world. But they couldn't even do that. 
They came out and they felt like slaves and they, they thought they looked like slaves. And so as soon as they get into the promised land and they said, now what do we do? He said, cross the Jordan and, and occupy it. And they went, but we asked to be free, but I don't know what to do with the freedom. He said, go. Where should we go? Anywhere you place your foot. But what if it's the wrong foot? What if it's the wrong direction? What if it's when it's dark? What if it's just before sunrise? And God goes, oh God, what do I do with these? He says, you're free. I guarantee you almost all of us in this room don't know how to live out of freedom because we're so conditioned to what if it's wrong? Because the way has to be precise. God's a control freak. And God has a perfect plan for your life. And if you miss it, you're going to really miss out and you're going to go into trouble because God's perfect plan for your life, which I don't think he has, by the way. I think God has a... God is not... <laughs> that's like saying, I have a perfect plan for my children and they haven't followed it at all, so therefore I hate my children. No. My plan for my children is that they have life and they walk in fulfillment and they enjoy what they step into and they are kind to people. And we have good relationship. It's broad brushstrokes of will. They could do this or they could do that and I love them equally. You have a lot of freedom in what you can be with God. But the part that I'm is really underscoring how do we follow God and, how, and why do we make it so difficult is because it is relational. And that's often the part that we struggle with. Goodness me. Spirit level fell. Um, so, so, you know, what? How do we follow with freedom and with joy and with confidence? And that's where I'm kind of wanting to. Jesus said to Simon and Andrew when they said they were fishing, they, he said, uh, "You know, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." So one of the first things you come to when you come to God is he, go, he's, he says, follow me and I will make you. And one of the intriguing things and one of the ways that you could actually really begin to, to get a sense of Jesus' heart is to go, what is it you had in mind when you made me? Many people want to go, well, I, I'm going to believe in God so that he can serve me. He can make my life better. He can make my marriage better. He can make my children better. And he can do this and he can do that. And then if he doesn't do it, he doesn't exist. Which means that God is not, a, God is not this genie in a bottle. That's Arabian Nights. God is relational. When Jesus, called, when Jesus called the disciples, he didn't say to Peter, because uh, I'm licking myself because I'm bleeding from something. Like Stigmata. I mean, uh, <laughs> um, when he... When he when Jesus went, called the disciples, he didn't say, Peter, Simon, Simon Peter, you've got some issues uh, with people-pleasing. You're not that reliable. You've got a mouth on you. Don't worry, I'm fine. Um, you've got a mouth on you. you, you he, he didn't look at all the things that were incomplete in Peter and then said, when you've dealt with all that, I will make you into this. He said, I will make you. And follow me. And you said, but when are you going to make me? Along the way. When are you going to make me um, less mouthy? 
I'm not sure even I can do that, Jesus probably said, but we could work on it. When are you going to make me bold? Probably when you've been most terrified. I don't know. And if you actually look at the way that Jesus made Peter into a fisher of men and women, you will find it was on the journey of following Jesus through thick and thin and through all kinds of circumstances. And in that process of living, the making happened. And I want to encourage you that in your life following God, it's in the very ebb and flow of your daily life that God is actually working. And the more that you begin to listen and hear him in the midst of your daily life, the more you will see transformation take place. If you think coming to church will actually change you, well, it won't. That would be like Ken's project of getting us to get off the couch and walk for five miles or ten miles or whatever. And, we, and he comes and he says, we're going to meet in the gym, get some nice spandex with Jericho Road joggers on it, and off we're going. And you come to the gym and Ken gives you a talk and he tells you how to eat and he tells you this is going to be fun and you don't feel like it's fun and it's going to be this and that. And then you go home. Ken gave a good talk. I was quite moved. And next week, what's, you know, what color should we wear this week? And we go off to Ken's talk. And it comes to the time for the test and you can't even walk 10 yards because you've never practiced. Just coming to the talk doesn't change anything. It might alert you to some possibilities, but unless it actually gets worked out, nothing happens. That's why we talk, to us, we talk about ourselves as a church, Jericho, being a community. It's not about coming to church. It's about being a community where we actually live life together to some degree and encourage each other along the way and help each other in the disillusionment of so many things because so many people come and go, oh, I just had a wonderful experience and on Tuesday they wonder if God exists. You feel like that sometimes? So that's what the disciples did with Jesus. So this following God and listening to Jesus and how it is to live the way is in the ordinary of everyday life, there are extraordinary things that can happen. The beginning of really following Jesus also is learning how to understand God's extraordinary love, which is not sentimental. It, it has that element to it, but it's much more than that. Because truth, you know, if you were, I guess, a doctor and you were doing surgery, you would have truth and love. And the love is, we're going to make you better. The truth is, it's going to hurt. And that's pretty much the same for everything. I mean, I tried to get Ken to say, this is going to be fun, but at the end of the day, it's going to hurt. And almost everything is like that. Hurt, not necessarily in a bad way, because there's a, a good kind of hurt, which is just, you know, the, 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 the effort required. And that's why we need one another, because I set up squash games, and almost invariably now, I'd rather sit by the fire. I go, oh my way, I don't feel like doing it. And, and when I go, it sort of changes. As I get in the car and I drive down to the squash club, it's kind of, I'm, I'm on my way, I'm committed. And then by the time I got in the changing room, it's kind of like, okay, I'm glad I'm here, I think. And then you've got to loosen up. And by the time I'm running around the court, believe it or not, um, I'm glad I'm there. And that's most, most of life is like that. So if one recognizes that, you don't actually give your feelings all that much authority. You just go, some days you feel like doing it and sometimes you don't. And God said, you know, he said in Luke 13, Jesus was outside Jerusalem and he, 
He said, how I longed that you would come to me, but you would not. When Joshua was taking the promised land, God said to him, be strong and courageous. Because Joshua was, was following in after Moses, who was kind of the leader. I mean, who would follow after Moses? And he said, every step you take, I'll give you. Be strong and courageous and keep the book of the law in your hand and meditate on it. And In other words, he kind of said, um, never leave home without it. You need the level. You need the spirit level. You need to know my word. You need to know my scriptures. Uh, and you need to know your community. And if you walk with that, you'll be safe and you'll be productive and you'll be successful. The problem with God, unlike us, is he's not, he's not into cookie-cutter creation. He does everything differently. So every one of us is in many ways unique, even though we have a lot of sameness. And so what's it like to follow God where he is coming from heaven to earth. And it took me a long time to understand this because I used to hear people saying, oh, you've got to pull on a heaven and a heaven's coming. Like, what on earth are you talking about? It sounds like such an... What are you talking about? So I'm going to make it all clear to you today. Living from heaven to earth, following God, following Jesus. Jason mentioned it, you know, he's coming here and talking about guilt. And I've got, I, I got two, I think, little revelations today, this week. From I was talking to God about that and this whole thing of guilt and, and going, I'm never good enough or I'm always messing up or uh, things just don't... I wish I were better. I, I get voices that I always want to disqualify myself. And so the negative is, is not far away ever about me or about life. You get despondent. And I was talking to sort of God as I was driving. Um, and you've heard this before, but he, he just said, you know, Satan's realm is the earth. That's his only sphere of influence. And the only thing that en Satan has at his disposal is the physical, what you see, the, the physical, emotional, psychological stuff that you see around. He, his realm is this earth. So what he does is every time that... You, you're beginning to look to me. He starts reminding you of who you are on earth. And the stuff that is intuitively ours is the negative stuff. It's the negative stuff about who we're not. And it's also the negative stuff about our idea of what it means to succeed. So therefore, if my job isn't going well, or if I'm not employed, or if I haven't got enough money, I see myself as a loser or a failure. If my marriage is struggling, or if my children aren't behaving... All of these multitudes of things around us at the physical, sensual level cause us to evaluate whether, we're whether things are working well or not. And it's actually a lie, but it's our truth. And God sort of was saying to me, you know, when I see... So, so when I talk to Him, when I talk to God, I'm talking to Him from my earthbound zone and I go, oh God, please forgive me for this and please do this and do that. And there's a legitimacy to that, but it's inadequate. Because he says, you know, when I see you, I see you from heaven. What do you mean? When I see you, I see you from heaven. Jesus came to earth, and Jesus came and went to the cross for you, and he forgave you for all your sin. So pretty much everything you talk to me about, I don't see. And it says in the Hebrews that uh, when we ask God to forgive us our sins, he forgets it. 
So almost all the time we're talking to him, he says, I have no idea what they're talking about. I keep on mentioning stuff, but I don't see it. And that's because Jesus is saying, dealt with, dealt with, dealt with, dealt with. And so from God's perspective, he's saying, you're my much-loved son. You're my much-loved daughter. How are you? There's no condemnation in my heart for you. I'm making you something. I'm calling you into that. I'm not defining you by what you've become on earth. I'm defining you on what I've always known you to be from heaven because this is where you actually came from. Does that make sense? You see, what's too good to be true is in the midst of my incompleteness, I am much loved. What is too good to be true is in the midst of my failures and weakness and sinfulness, I actually walk forgiven. It doesn't mean I'm not guilty. It doesn't mean I don't have things to deal with. It just means I maybe start from a different place. You start from a place of I am just a miserable worm or you start from a place I am a much-loved son. And when you start living from this place, it changes your sense of identity. Does that make sense? You see, there's a spiritual truth that is worked out in us on earth as in heaven. It's the beginning of our citizenship of heaven. And if I begin to believe that God is for me, not against me, then my desire to hear his voice for my daily life is much easier. If I believe that he actually wants the best for me, then I stop only talking to him from my perspective, which I have done for years and wrestled with and got myself in a lot of trouble, because if I get my way and you can bless my way, then I will be happy. And over 60 years, it doesn't work that way. I have momentary happiness, which is self-gratification or gratification of the things I wanted, but in the long, big picture, it's not necessarily the best thing. And so there's an element of God says, trust me, because I have your best interests at heart. And if you know, I mean, the song we sing, good, good father and his love for us and all of that stuff, that begins to kick in. And so I go, okay, that's what I want. Another picture he gave me, I was reading out of Chronicles, and two, one Chronicles is about David, and two Chronicles is, is about uh, Solomon, his son. And David couldn't build the temple for God because he had, been, he had blood on his hands, and so God says, so- Solomon will do it. So Solomon builds this temple. He's got massive resources. Cedars from Lebanon, gold and silver, everything. And he builds this incredible temple for the presence of God and the ark to be present in. And it had magnificent colors and many, many priests and many, many people serving and just incredibly elaborate stuff to honor God. And all was absolutely uh, genuine kosher. Listen to God. God has told them to build, you know, he said, yes, you can build the temple, but listen to God. This is an incredible temple. You could maybe, let's talk about a cathedral. You go to this ma- you know, one of these beautiful con- cathedrals, Westminster Abbey or, or in Rome, uh, St. Paul's. Uh, St. Paul's in, in, in London. What's Westminster Abbey? Uh, the the uh, one in Rome is St. Peter's. Of course it is. <laughs> you go into this temple or one of these cathedrals and you marvel at it and said it's built to the glory of God and God lives in this place and, and God comes and stands next to you and he says, you see this beautiful thing? It is beautiful. 
But my heart's desire is that I live in you. I don't want this. I want this. And so the massive, beautiful temple that Solomon built in the Old Testament, Jesus comes in and, and, and in the New Testament and says, God's heart's desire is not for a building on earth, but for a people on earth in whom he dwells. And so we look like this little shack next to the cathedral, and he says, I want to be in the shack. Because something precious is there that cannot be held anywhere else. And you are God's dwelling place. He wants to dwell in you. Now, what happens, you, you look on the TV at all these property uh, you know, um, TV shows and they're going to renovate and flip it and this is what you can do with this thing and they go in and they rip the whole thing apart and this muscular, good-looking guy goes, yeah, baby, I'll just do this for you. And Oh, it's lovely, lovely, lovely. I, I hate it. They all go into every room and go, oh, God, oh, God, it's lovely. <laughs> I'd say to Cheryl, I hate that. But <laughs> anyway, they go in, they, they like the transformation. We never saw that. It's lovely. It is lovely. Why? It's lovely. Well, it's, it's showing what can happen with something that you thought was over. The, you know. Now, what if that's you? And God goes, I, I want to dwell in you so that you can be transformed. And I'm not going to flip you. I'm living here for life. You are my prized possession. And that actually the whole of life is about how God can renovate us from the inside out. Not correct us. Just renovate what has got broken or lost for all kinds of reasons. And following God and following Jesus is all about that. It's being made new day by day, circumstance by circumstance. It's learning to think from heaven, which is God loves, God cares, God is faithful, I'm trusting him. Lord, what do you want to do? There's a little, you'll, some of you will have seen this before, but I'll show it to you just because I think it's, it, it, it says something of what I'm trying to say. Isn't that cool? So simple. But it's reverse thinking. It's thinking from earth to heaven is negative, from heaven to earth is positive. You want to switch that light back on? Please? So there's, a, there's this. So the way the truth and the life is, learn, is living from a place of revelation that God is good and kind and is also powerful. You know. You might want to consider, when was the last time your relationship with God caused you to change? When was the last time your relationship with Jesus caused you to stop and say, am I right or could I be wrong? When was the last time that your relationship with God raised up a question that you actually wanted to ask because it didn't make sense rather than just determine that what you thought at that moment was true? Because as we follow Jesus and as we are part of community and as we read the scriptures, there should be many times where we actually go, I, I wonder. And where, where I want to encourage you is that God is in the midst of you and your life right now. And he's working. He's answering more than you realize. It just doesn't look like it. Because we're looking for solutions that we can apply and he's teaching you lifestyles out of which the fruit will emerge. And so very often, you know, digging foundations, um, planting trees and putting in seeds is messy work. We have this romantic idea that, you know, I'm going to wake up tomorrow anointed 
The apples are growing and you're going to be juicily eating my, the fruit of my life. That's why I keep on saying everything is integrated. Whether it's worship, whether it's prayer, whether it's work, whether it's whatever it is, it's all integrated. We want to take a little section that we quite like and say, well, that's, that's who I am. That's what I'm doing for God. And I go, crap. No. It's way too small. It's too self-selecting. It's too actually, I want to do this little part and that's what I do. And I go, no, it's, got, it's much bigger and broader than that. Life has a way of keeping us humble. It's a good place to be and teachable. So if you look at, that's why I took out the passage from Acts. If you actually just opened up Acts and watched Paul's journey, you don't find Paul very often having this anointed revelation. You find it emerging and unfolding in the context of his walking and living. So if you're waiting for this revelation, I set you free in the name of Jesus. You will get revelation. You will have moments of aha. But most of the time you will find that God's creeping up on you and he's working in you more than you realize if you give him the opportunities. And if you just pay a little attention. Like you can't tell, uh, you know, when you, you do this exercise thing and, and you say you go and do uh, the five miles and you walk it and you walk it and then you start jogging it. You can't tell when you're getting fit, but you can tell that each time you try it's getting easier. And if you actually turn up and you do it, things begin to change. But if you try to anally try and analyze how it's changing, you won't be able to do it. You can't run and analyze you just got to run. And you've got to live. Your, your worship comes out of your life through the week. Your prayers are talking to all the time to God. You just talk to God. Listen to Him. How do you listen? You just keep quiet and listen. And He'll sound like you. And you'll get an idea. And you'll talk to somebody and something will pop in your mind. or something will. And He'll just go, I'm talking to you. But I was just hearing John. Well, there you go. Be encouraged. He can talk through anyone. You know. he, 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 God's voice in you will sound like your voice because he speaks with your accent to you in whispers and shouts and circumstances. He's saying things to you today. He will speak to you today. First thing he will always say to you is you're much loved. I like you. And one of the things I'd encourage you to do is to talk out loud to yourself. Talk out loud to yourself and to God and listen to how you sound. Tell him all the miserable stuff you're feeling. If you want to get that off your chest, start talking to that and then start imagining Jesus sitting next to you and talk, your, talk back to yourself like you think Jesus might. See what happens. You might be surprised. Because Jesus will always speak to you about your lo- his delight in you like you would speak to a child if you're a good father or mother. I delight in you. And then you'll start speaking back and try and get off some things that he's trying to discipline you on. He says, no, I'm not doing that. I delight in you, but no. Or yes. Quickly then, as we finish, the the disciples. In Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are are on a a journey. And they're traveling around, uh, sharing who Jesus is in a pretty hostile environment. And if you read through all that, which we don't have time to to, to do right now, 
you find that environment gives them a very mixed reception. Sometimes it's wonderful to see them and at other times they're not very welcome at all. And the crowd is very fickle. In 10 minutes they're saying, this is amazing, and the next minute they're kicking them out of the synagogue. And I don't think Paul and Barnabas were traveling saying, when you go here, this is what's going to happen, and then I'm going to do this here. They, they went, and as they went, and as they engaged, things unfolded. And I don't think all the time they would have understood. But what they had to understand, that God was good and that he's faithful. And their model was Jesus had gone to the cross for them and been raised from the dead, and they had actually met people who had witnessed the resurrection. And they, they, they embodied it at a very deep level. If God suffered so much that his love could be given to us, then there's no suffering that we can go through that wouldn't be worth it. And so they had this warped mindset. Who can suffer more for Jesus? Their gospel was not uh, do some talking around Caesarea and you should get a pretty good handout and you could build a, you know, a house on the coast with the Paul and Barnabas ministries on your chariot. Look what happens. That passage we read where the gen- they, the, uh, they basically uh, spoke to the Jews, the Jews were, gil- were, were jealous and then they were, were thrown out and they wiped the dust off their feet and they went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Next chapter in Iconium, in other words, they didn't spend a lot of time complaining about the Jews who wouldn't get them, which I would have done. I, I, I find this remarkable, but